0: Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information or simply learning from them. And today we have Lynn McLaughlin. She is an author, a teacher and a lifelong educator. Welcome to the show, Lynn.
1: Thanks, AJ. It's my honor and pleasure to be here with all
0: of you. You are welcome to the show, Lynn. You are welcome to India in this online form. And I'm sure not just in India, but a lot of people across the globe will benefit from all this that we'll be discussing about. We'll be talking about children's emotional health and well-being. So what? my first question to you, Lynn, is to understand from you about children's mental health and emotional emotional health and well-being. We are talking a lot about children today. Then children are talking about themselves. They seem to be much more busy with, you know, several of them into with their phones and other aspects. I want to understand the challenges that children face in today's time, whether they don't know about it or they don't know about it. Some are very young. Help us understand. You have been a principal, a vice principal, a lifelong educator, and now you are writing a five series book series. So we'll come to that. Help us understand about the challenges and then we'll try and find solutions for them.
1: Thank you for the question. That's enormous. We could take the entire show just to talk about that. Um, people who say, you know, the way we were raised, my generation was raised work for me. Why isn't it working for children today? It's an entirely different world. We just put the pandemic aside. We all, we've all survived that. We have four-year-olds who were in kindergarten and told not to touch each other, not to be near each other. You know, there was, there's a book here in North America, everything I ever learned, I learned in kindergarten while we (laughs) now we're reversing all of those things, but you just take the world in. There is twenty-four-seven news and information around us constantly, and unfortunately, we as adults are the ones putting that in front of our children. It's just who we are. Those phones, those devices, the, you know, Siri, all of it is around us. And it's just part of our lives. So it's become part of our children's lives. Used to be, you know, if you wanted to watch a favorite TV show, you'd look it up on the TV guide, everybody sit around and, and you know, those kinds of things. And when we talk about news, we're talking about things where in our own areas, we not might not even be thinking about earthquakes and wildfires. And so all of these things are in the faces of our children, not to mention social media. When all of that begins, the, the, the complexities that they face today are more enormous than any one of us could have imagined. Uh, so yeah, we have to raise them in a different way. We have to think differently and we have to give them tools right from the very, very beginning that they can use for life, as opposed to waiting until we see something's off and say, wait a minute, something's not right here. I need to do something about this. How do I address it? Uh, we're of the proactive mindset here with my business and my company and, and all of my partners and saying, what can we do first ahead of time to give kids the tools we need, which means we have to learn them first. So I hope that answered your question. It's much more complex.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. One thing I understand is that devices are the vices of today. So, so many devices... How do we deal with that? That is one big problem because we need them and we don't need them. Perhaps we need a few. We don't need as many as are available. One is that. But is that the only problem? How are parents dealing with uh, all these issues? Should they be educated first or should children, do children need to be educated first? How does that happen? Uh, You know, what comes first today? let me
1: answer that in two parts. First of all, us, I think we have to be consciously aware of when those devices in our hands. And if we are sitting with our family in front of us and we have a phone in front of us, or we're at a restaurant and we have a phone in front of us, we are unintentionally sending the signal that that device is more important than the people in front of us in that moment. So we have to gauge our own behavior first. And as our children are growing up when they're toddlers and they're, they need that eye contact. They need that one-to-one interaction. They don't need you to be looking at a device. Every single moment in those developmental years is critical. I think the first thing we need to do is be conscious and aware and intentionally put those phones down and turn off those devices at, um, at really important times during the day. And that doesn't mean there are some of us who have jobs and absolutely you've got to take that phone call, but your family becomes part of that whole solution and discussing well, how does this work for us? There's no phones at the dinner table, you know, all of those kinds of things. But I, I want to bring everyone's attention to a movement in the United States called Wait Until Eighth. And I love what they are doing, AJ, because they're, it's a group of parents in a school that say we are banding together and we are not going to give our children cell phones until the eighth grade. And even if you disagree with eighth grade, because kids develop at a different stage, the pressures of everybody in the class has one. But what greed, What this movement also does is share step by step information. If we're gonna put a, a cell phone in our, in our children's hands, all it needs to be is five phone numbers, texting and phone calls either, no social media. Social media doesn't get thrown on until they're 16, 17 years old. We do it step-by-step-by-step by step by step to teach them how to use the device properly and safely I mean, you know, as well as I do, how many spams you, scams you get on your phone or never mind predators. So there's two folds here. Us being consciously aware, making intentional choices about what we put in our children's hands and when and how much control to give them. Um, I liken it to drinking and driving like we have we you have to be a certain age before you get in front of a wheel. You, you know what the consequences are if you have a drink and you drive. You know, eight-year-olds with a cell phone in their hand who are on Snapchat, do they really understand the full consequences of what that world is? No, they don't. They simply don't. Developmentally, they don't have the ability to differentiate between this is safe, this isn't safe. Is this person real? Is this person, is this, yeah. So twofold in answer to your question, in my opinion.
0: Right, right, Lynn. Let's look at it this way. Uh, Your mission is to, you know, for children is to build confidence, empathy, self-awareness and responsibility let's look at our real world how do you build confidence when they are seeing so many things around in homes in society and outside in in school also what is the type of when you talk of confidence what confidence confidence is based on On something. So I want to understand what sort of a confidence you want to build. Second thing is about, yeah, uh, about empathy together. Yes. In our society, when they don't see evidence of empathy, where will they learn from? First, these two two things, then we'll come to self-awareness and responsibility.
1: Well, I think we can pull those characteristics really under one umbrella. We might look at them. They each have a different different definition or quality. But when we're building those characteristics of self-confidence, being able to express themselves, being uh, able to be in a social um, experience, problem solving, all of those kinds of things, it comes down to building that from the time they're little, little people. And so what we like to say is when we normalize conversations about feelings and emotions in our homes it becomes part of what we do. As a parent, we come home from work. It's been a horrible day. I need five minutes. We model, we state the, I am really upset today. Something happened at work. I don't want to talk about it right now, but I need five minutes. Mom's going to be in the other room. I'm going to have my earbuds in, but come and talk to me if you need to, if it's an emergency. You model naming the behavior, you model naming what's happened, how you're going to cope with it. And then you come back and model problem solving. You model failing, you model when you're sad, when you're not, when, when you're grieving, all of those things become normal. So kids also start to be able to express those, those emotions and when they feel loved and when they feel valued for who they are and what they bring to the table, that's when those skills start to start to build. If we come in angry and slamming the door, our kids aren't going to be talking to us. Because that's the reaction they're going to. If we react and jump all over them for something that's gone wrong, they're going to start to hide things from us. That's when we suppress all of that open communication.
0: Right, right. When we talk of children's emotional health and well-being, what does that look like? What does a normal or emotionally emotionally well-brought-up person looks like? For a child, it's the first time that they are living that age. How does that look like? Sometimes even we forget, we tend to, you know, look at our own children with a yardstick of our own ears. That's very it's, unfair. So how does, how do we know that this is what normal childhood is all about when we are seeing so many, uh, you know, disjointed things in our own life?
1: Yeah, I, I think it goes back to everything's okay to bring to the table. Everything's okay to talk about in the house. In the house, Being angry is all right. It's an emotion that we all feel. But do we model that as, as parents? That being angry is okay, but this is the way I deal with it. And this is the way I move on. Being upset. Um, all of those things are real and they're normal. And teaching our kids that we have those feelings for a reason, and we have to figure out why we're feeling that way so we can do something about it. And sometimes when we're feeling worried, there's a reason we need to listen to that. There's a reason we're worried. So I think being emotionally well means that you are aware of your feelings. You're aware of why you're feeling you're feeling this way. And then you know what to do about it to take it to a place of problem solving and resolution in a positive way rather than the reactionary. blah, 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 blah Put the put the door up. Lock, you know, shut everybody out. Well, that doesn't solve anything. So, emotionally well to me means exactly that. You can cope, you whatever is thrown at you in your life, you've got some tools to deal with that in some way, shape, or form.
0: Right, right, Lynn. We have talked about the responsibilities of parents. What about the education system and schools itself? How yes. have been they playing this role? Is it that they have not done what they needed to do and now the problem has aggravated how does it you have been an educator you have been a principal vice principal very much deep into the system how do you look at that can only just should only parents be responsible for this?
1: Absolutely not. It's an absolute community. So uh, when you, I, I started to shake my head no at first because it's not a school responsibility. It's not an education responsibility. But think about the synergy if this is happening in school settings and in homes and not only for children. So um, I'm watching around the world. There are countries where it is embedded in their curriculum from early years. China is one of them. Uh, in Ontario, we have a school, Ontario Mental Health Curriculum. It's optional right now and we have, Uh, Teachers who are teaching, going into classrooms and modeling it for students. It's starting in our grade seven, eight curriculum. I'm really imploring people to say, look, you know, we talk about extreme behaviors. We can teach kids, we can give kids five tools in their toolbox that are secular and accepted around the world to say, this is what I'm going to try right now because this is the way I'm feeling. And it's okay to do that. If we do that in our schools and in our communities and in our homes, Our teachers will be healthier. Our adults will be healthier. Our parents will be healthier. Because when we learn how to do it, to teach them, we're better off as well. We learn to be present. We learn to be in the moment as opposed to being carried off into these thousand different things that are happening in our lives. So I think it's a societal um, uh, problem that can be solved, that is being solved in many different ways around the world. But when you embed it in a curriculum, then it becomes a mandatory component. For every, If you started it in junior kindergarten here, for example, in North America, then teachers are taught how to do that, how to bring it into the curriculum at that age appropriate age. And then they learn them themselves. And as those kids go through school, they get more and more and more strategies to use. And it becomes part of classroom conversations and problem solving when there's a conflict. It's It's got so much power. And we have decades of research to support it. I have a whole page on my website of the decades of, of research that supports this kind of uh, proactive work. People call it all different things. Mindfulness, visualization. There's all different ways. Using nature. Oh, so many different ways that we can teach kids to manage their emotions in a positive way today.
0: Together. Right, right, <laughs> right. You talked of five tools. Are these the same that you want to teach children so that they can face everyday situation well? Are these the same tools that you are talking about?
1: Uh, the tools in my books Oh, OK. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, you the talk about- well, yeah, yeah, she-
1: they, well the, each. So in the children's book series called The Power of Thought, each book teaches a different strategy. Uh, so, for example, so the, one of them that's called I Can Call My Mind is a person and it's a fictional being off an imaginary planet. We had such fun doing that. Um, Carnouli is upset because everyone went to the park without them. And, and then the mind goes, oh, and we teach deep breathing in a way that every child can relate to and parents can learn to it and learn it. In another book, we teach visualization. In another book, we teach the power of, of realizing you have more than one choice or two choices. I'm not happy with either one, and but we have to be aware and teach kids to look around using senses to calm ourselves. Um, yeah. So each book teaches a separate strategy and our hope is by the time all five books are read and practiced, the strategies are practice that every child, at least three of them will work, but those are only five of, hundreds of strategies that we can be teaching kids today.
0: Right, right, Lynn. In, yeah. in terms of, you know, you you want to focus on evidence-based strategies for children. What are these? What do you mean by that? Evidence-based? Is it too much of fake things floating around? Or is it <laughs> something else that you want to uh, emphasize on?
1: Basically, if I just take those five strategies, we, we actually have 10 books written, but these five are out right now. They are they're part of research. You could actually look at cognitive behavior therapy, which we use when people are, are you know having trouble and needing to dig deep. And we take those principles and put them in a childlike concept and teach them strategies for two, three. Well, really age four is the time when we want to be starting. Before that, it's more of a read aloud and let's have fun and look at the characters and those kinds of things. So, so they're ground in research. We just don't pull them out of thin air and say, oh, try this, it might work for your child. Um, there's decades of research that saying says these strategies work they work differently for everyone some work better than others and each one of us it behooves us to figure out what works for us and, and our children as well so
0: right right your your book series now let's come to that the power of thought it's a it's a nice name why the power of thought, thought because it all yeah. they, are too, they, are too, they are too young to understand all these things.
1: Well, but I mean, the bottom line is it comes down to what our what we're thinking in our own minds. So, you know, I'm going to fail the test. I'm going to fail the test. I'm going to fail the test. And then we teach them that. I call it Henrietta. Henrietta is a my mind spiraling. And let's talk about what's happened in the past where I've done well. And so focus on the truth and focus on the facts and being able to realize that it's your mind that that if if you can be aware of those thoughts that are racing or I'm feeling anxious because and identify the reasons then you can teach yourself specific strategies. It's not the end-all be-all. Uh, you know, we talk about mental health, mental illness in a totally different category. But when we have things already in place, as opposed to flying off the handle to say, hold on, I'm upset. This is what I'm going to do right now. Uh, it makes a difference. So it's the power of the mind. It really is. That's what it's all about. Our thinking, our thoughts.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So who is this book for? Is it for children? Is it for parents? Is it okay. for schools? <laughs> schools? Who is this book for? And what is there a proper sequence to learn it or you can just pick up any of these books? Are they already in the market or where, where, uh, where is it available at the moment? They are, are they anywhere books
1: out? can be, be sold. They're on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. If you want signed copies, you can order them through our website. But our target market initially was parents, right? Um, And from grade, uh, sorry, we have been in early years classrooms all the way up to grade five. It's really age four to to age 10. And you approach it differently according to the age level. But what we found is older siblings are learning these strategies themselves when they're reading it to their younger, to their younger siblings. And we've had parents say, oh, my goodness, or grandparents say, I didn't know anything about this. And I myself, my co-author is my niece. She's a social worker. I learned some of these things from myself that i would never even known about before using your five senses to ground yourself. I had no idea. Like, so as adults, it's really cool because I guess we should have expected it. Teachers are using it in their classrooms as toolboxes now, five different strategies out of your toolbox, which one's, which one are you going to use? So it really, it really, it, Oh, in answer to your question, it just, it's affected so many people in a positive way. We're just, we're just tickled pink every time we hear something else. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's wonderful. You are, uh, you know, creating that impact and inspiration to a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of these conversations should happen, must happen. And there is much to learn from you about all these things, Lynn. And, you know, from your books, from even you have, you also have a podcast. Tell us about that so that, you know, more and more people can learn more about these things and others
1: yeah it's called taking the helm we're on voice america radio and uh, my guests are all people who are experts in the field of being proactive for children's emotional well-being uh and i've learned so much every time i have a guest i learn something new from them too and we also do parent information evenings and the last school that we were at was a very diverse uh group of of dads of moms of of parents who were just interested in talking about what does it look like in my home when i want to begin Normalizing conversations about feelings, and that looks different to everybody, um, because it really does. We have to learn ourselves, as I said. So these parent information evenings we also offer, uh, and virtually and in person, and um, and those are going really, really well too. If we can affect five people in an audience, if we have five people in an audience, then it's five people we're gonna we're gonna hope we're gonna take the things home, the strategies home. If we have a hundred and five take them home, then five different families have now become begun to say, hey, I want to try some things differently because this isn't working for us. And that's really powerful.
0: Absolutely. So what is the best way for people to, you know, learn more about you, to get more from you, and to connect with you professionally if they want to.
1: Everything's on my website, lynnmclaughlin.com. Uh, all the social media is there. My email is Lynn at So that's MC. It's on the screen in terms of the spelling. And uh, we'd love to hear from you you and i have to say uh aj ironically we had a couple of women uh oh there was a group of women they were on exchange teacher exchange i think i think they were from pakistan uh and mm-hmm. took the books back and they were going to be bringing them back into their schools so uh we've got the reach globally and it's in, in australia as well we just took the books to australia so uh open to conversations to with anyone around the world because this is, is important for all of us
0: absolutely with this it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much indeed for joining us. BE WELL.